Hello and welcome to Beta Cells to Bicycles, the official podcast of the BC Diabetes Research Network. I'm Crystal Lam and today I'm talking to Priye Iwarima. And Priye is a trainee in Kiefer Lab at UBC and she's going to be talking to me today about her role there and about the work being done at Kiefer Lab. So welcome to the show. Thank you and it's very good to be here. And I'm really excited to talk to you because I think a lot of people might not understand what is a trainee, what does that mean? Because if you don't work in science, it's not a common term, and it, it's something that I think is a pretty exciting role. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do and what you're doing in Kiefer Lab? Yeah, of course. So as a trainee, basically I'm working in a lab where there is a principal investigator Typically, there is an overarching theme of what the lab is studying. So in our case, it is diabetes. And I get to work on some very interesting projects. So mine happens to be working with stem cells and using them to generate insulin-producing cells. And I also do a lot of work on optimizing the protocol and the procedures to make sure that it is a scalable process. Because ultimately, what we're trying to do is generate a potential product that could be used as a potential replacement cell therapy for patients living with type 1 diabetes. So we really want to make sure that with all of the basic science that we're doing to manufacture these cells, we can manufacture a large enough number that could be used for the population. And I find it really interesting because you are doing a ton of stuff. And so the term trainee might seem, you know, um, like a bit of a misnomer. But are you training to become a PI? Is that something you're thinking about? Or are you thinking about going into another role afterwards? So I think training uh, personally is that I am learning. I'm in an environment that allows me to learn. Um, typically for academia, the trainees are either the undergraduates, the graduate students, or the postdoctoral fellows that are in the lab. And then after that, for most people, they do want to go on and become a PI. Personally, that is not where I see myself going. But as a trainee, I'm learning all of these skills and techniques, not just scientific or um, knowledge-based information, but other things that would help in the future, like networking and communication. Science communication is really important. It doesn't matter if you're staying in academia, going into industry, or even in the pharmaceutical era, because you need to be able to explain the science that you're doing in the lab to anyone. And it really is such a, a great skill to have because it's going to be a very different conversation when you go to a conference where it's like-minded researchers that are doing the same sort of work versus if I go and give a talk to just a public audience there's numerous things that I think are just normal that are my jargon that they would never understand what that word means not because they don't well, they should not know what that word is. It's just not normal language. Mm -hmm. But I'm in the lab. I'm communicating with people that speak this same language while elsewhere it's really foreign. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting that you're looking at that because I think communicating science to the lay public is one of the most interesting things that you can be able to do. And especially working in stem cell science, that's really exciting because I think that's an area where you're using a lot of terminology that the average person might not understand. They don't understand what a pluripotent stem cell is. And so being able to have that capacity to explain it is, I think, incredibly important. And so do you see yourself becoming a science communicator in the future? I am open to all opportunities at this point in time. I'm just soaking in all of the knowledge that I find around me. I'm in a really great spot, I think. UBC is a wonderful place to 
uh, pursue my postgraduate degree and then I'm also in Tim's lab which is also an amazing place filled with a lot of like like-minded and bright trainees as well so I get to learn a lot but at the same time I also am privileged to get a lot of exposure to different events or different conferences so at this point I'm really not limiting myself to one box it's just kind of I'll see what's out there I know what I enjoy I know I'm fortunate to know some of the things that I don't want to do I think that's really important for anyone that is trying to go into grad school or trying to figure out what you really want to do with your life after the fact because ultimately in universities unfortunately we've been we've almost we're being trained to be PIs but most people might not want to be PIs or even if they do want to be PIs there are not enough jobs that are out there for people that are graduating with PhDs and going on to do their postdocs so it's really being being open to opportunities that will still allow you to use your scientific background. Absolutely and a principal investigator role is um, a really important one but it's not the only one in science and I think that that's a really good point because there are so many things that you can do with the knowledge that you're gaining mm -hmm. and one of the things I wanted to ask you about because you are in Kiefer Lab which is a lab that's got a lot of renown internationally the work being done there is is incredible in many levels and so what was it that drew you to that lab were you particularly interested in stem cell work or was it just you know an opportunity to work for a really legendary lab actually it was quite funny the way I ended up in the Kiefer lab prior to this I have a master's degree which was not doing anything with stem cells at all it was looking at like mitochondrial dynamics and function and neurons and after that I ended up in Michael Hayden's lab for a little bit and found myself in the Kiefer lab doing some of the stem cell work. That was the first time I'd had actually done any work with stem cells. I was sort of familiar with what was going on and I knew the lab was a great lab, but having been in the lab for so long, it's amazing the amount of things that I get to learn because everyone is doing something that is so different and trying to tackle different problems from for diabetes. So it's really just an amazing place to grow and learn what's going on out there. For the stem cell work that I do, honestly, I absolutely love it. It's 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 ridiculous how much I actually enjoy it, and that's one advice I would give to people with graduate studies. You want to love what you're doing because it is a lot of work. It's not going to get easier, especially if you want to be a PI, because now you have to organize all of these many facets of a lab. It's like a small business that you would be running. You need to absolutely love it. And I'm fortunate enough that I do love everything that I'm doing. Like sometimes I just giggle with people and like I get to play with all of these toys and I'm trying to like what we're doing could make such a substantial impact on someone's life when you think about people that are living with type 1 diabetes there's so many things that we tend to ignore like having a meal i would never think about oh i have this meal what is the consequence of this meal or i'm going to have a steak like that's not something most people that are not living with type 1 diabetes think about and so the impact that we could potentially make with the work that we're doing in the lab, generating these cells that could be mature and secreting insulin in a regulated manner and actually like looking at the process and making it scalable. That is just amazing to be able to touch even one person's life, but then there are millions of people that are affected with diabetes. So it's just, I absolutely love the work. And I think it's so exciting that you say that because I find that sometimes people think you're in the lab, 
you're looking at the cells, you're not really thinking about the people and the impact that the work could have, but it is such a transformative project that if, you know, if, if it does work, it could have such huge impact. So it's wonderful to hear you talking in that manner. And, and let's talk a little bit about that project so people understand. Um, it is one of the few stem cell trials happening in Canada right now uh, that is actually starting to have human implications because we're very, very uh, much in the infancy of stem cell research. I think still, um, and so that's kind of exciting to go, you know, into um, clinical trials and start to see this progress happening. And so, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing? Yeah. So, just two things. So, the work that I'm doing is not uh, the cells that are being used for the clinical trial, but we are working in collaboration with the biotech company that made those cells. So, for that part of it. Um, Viasite is the biotech company that's in California where they've taken these stem cells and they're essentially trying to make them into what we call pancreatic progenitor cells. So these cells at that point are committed towards a certain lineage where they can make all of the cell types that would be found in your pancreas. And so those cells are then put into a device that is sort of like cells in a tea bag, and they're put underneath the skin of the patient. So that's really interesting and really fascinating work that's going on right now. For the stuff that I'm doing, it's also similar, but I am starting with a different line of cells and trying to optimize the protocol to make later stage cells that would be more mature or maturing and have insulin at that point. So they're further along in their differentiation. And really what that means is I like to think about it like a cooking recipe. I'm trying to figure out all of the ingredients that I need to put into this pot when I start off with stem cells to generate insulin producing cells. So we have different things that we test and we're very rigorous with the way we try to analyze these cells to make sure that we're getting something that is what we want, or at least trying to improve the product with every iteration of the cooking process that we do. And then on the flip side, I'm also looking at how to do this in a scalable manner. So I would call that the process parameter optimization. And I've got a lot of cooking metaphors <laughs> going on. Cooking metaphors so, uh, are good. Those are uh, understandable. I like to tell people there are lots of different ways that we can grow these cells. And it's the same way you have lots of different pots that you can use to make a certain dish. But you will have one pot that will actually give you a better product, even if you had the cooking recipe kept the same way. So I'm trying to look at all of these different pots and see how they will affect the cells that I am making so that we make sure that we're using the right manufacturing procedures and utensils that will help us get a good product and one that can be manufactured large scale as well. That's really, I think that's really important to us that we be able to make something that could be translated and then could be tested. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people don't know about the work that's being done in terms of islet transplants. And so for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand the process that went into sort of the Edmonton protocol and mm -hmm. all of the steps that came before this, what you're trying to do is create cells that will replace the beta cells that don't work in a person with type 1 diabetes. Is that accurate? Yeah. So really, uh, like you said, the Edmonton protocol was 
the pivotal point where we had a proof of concept that what we're doing could be potentially um, curative for type 1 diabetes. So I'll just go over it a little bit. So great researchers in Edmonton have modified the way that you can take these islets, which are from donors, and it's almost about a teaspoonful of these cells. The islets contain different cell types that help maintain and regulate your blood sugar levels. So for any person that's having a meal, right after you have your meal, your blood sugar goes high. And in the islets, there are these specialized cells called beta cells that would release insulin and then help lower your blood sugar levels. But these cells are not just cool, like they're like superstars, because they know when to stop secreting the insulin so that you don't have too low blood sugar level. And conversely, if you have too low blood sugar levels, there are also specialized cells called the alpha cells, and they secrete glucagon and they'll help raise your blood sugar levels. So the cells that are found in islets are really highly specialized and can regulate your blood sugar levels so that you maintain what is normal. And for patients living with type 1 diabetes, basically immune cells have attacked these beta cells, so they either have little to no beta cells, so there is uh, an elevated blood sugar level, and that can lead to complications. So prior to islet transplantation, what was typically done, or what is actually still typically done, and the most common therapy, is daily multiple insulin injections. But again, that requires proper dosing, so people have to know exactly what amount to give themselves so that they can actually get back to normal and not be too low because if your blood sugar is too low, then you have potential to go into a coma and potentially die. Or if you don't give yourself enough insulin, then you just still have high blood sugar levels. And then there are other complications that can arise because of that. But after the Edmonton protocol where they took these islets that were from isolated from donors, they infused them into the patients that were already on insulin and they saw that they were able to then regulate their blood sugar levels just by infusing a couple teaspoons of these cells. So that was amazing work. And even when uh, some of the patients would need insulin over time, they would not need as much insulin as they usually did before. So that was just really a great proof of concept that we could replace them instead of just going through the normal route of multiple insulin injections. However, the problem with that is that we don't have enough donors to isolate these islets from. So we want something that is a more sustainable source, and that's where stem cells come in. So stem cells have two very unique characteristics that we're trying to exploit. One is that we can grow them in the lab and expand them to large numbers. So that means we have already an unlimited starting, uh, starting material for what we need to do. And stem cells can become any of the cell types in your body, right? So that one thing could become any of the 200 cell types in your body. The challenge then with what we're doing is trying to make these stem cells one or a couple specific cell types alone while ignoring what they would typically do. That's where the recipe comes in, where we wanna figure out what are the signals we need to tell it so that it just goes in this direction and ignores all of the other 200 directions that it can go into. And that's really important because a lot of people don't realize that stem cells aren't like drugs. You can't just take them and then they leave your body. Um, you know, they stay in your body, they can turn into other things. So you have to be really certain that they work and that they're gonna do what you want them to do mm -hmm. and that what you're doing is safe. And so I think that's a really exciting next step as yeah. you move into clinical trials and, and testing these. 
Yeah, that's that's a really great point. And that's why with a lot of the protocols and all of the different experiments we're running, we're very rigorous with the way we're looking at characterizing these cells. We want to make sure that they're going towards the lineage that we want them to go to and ignoring every other thing that they could be on the periphery. And there's a lot of other strategies or a lot of research that's going into different strategies on how we can protect these cells if they were implanted. So like the clinical trial where I say the cells are put into this device, so that's called encapsulation. So there, there's a ton of research out there on how to get the right device and how the device would facilitate survival of these cells when they're put into the patient. So it's, it's a great field and there's lots of work that's going on and I'm really excited for where it's getting. Yeah, it is such an exciting time in this field. And I think uh, one of the things I always think about as people are moving on in their careers with diabetes research, 20 years ago, this wasn't something you would necessarily have been thinking about a career in stem cell science. And so things move so quickly and there's so much happening. Do you have advice for anybody who's thinking about a career in diabetes research? I know that's hard as you're just starting out your own career, but you've had um, a little while, you know, been in school for a little while. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you've learned? Um, Be open to opportunities, right? I, I think that I am in a fortunate situation where we are in a highly collaborative lab, not just within the lab. Like I said, everyone is kind of doing something different, but it all spans with uh, diabetes research, but even outside of the lab. So there are collaborations that we'll have with industry or other PIs where they bring their own expertise. And sometimes using techniques that you would never think to answer a question that is in diabetes. So those interactions alone already give you opportunities and kind of show you a different perspective that you might love that you never thought about. So really be open to opportunities. When you see them, be ready for the opportunities. It's one thing for the opportunity to be there and you just let it walk by. A lot of people talk about people being lucky, but you know the usual thing is luck is really you being prepared for the opportunity that was presented to you. So. Be prepared, but be open to any uh, opportunity that you see and just gain experience. Because one of the things I love to tell people is like a lot of times we say we want to do things like know what you don't want to do. So during my undergrad, that was one of the reasons I did co-op, that I was an advocate for co-op and I encouraged many people to do co-op. It's like you don't know what you don't like at this point. And that is knowing that is really helpful because you don't waste time then trying to adapt to something that is definitely not something that you're interested in. But then you could find something that you never thought you knew you were interested in that sparks your interest and just becomes a passion, something that you never thought you would be doing. Like I absolutely love the work that I'm doing. And if you had asked me five years ago, would you be in this position? I would tell you no, because I wouldn't really have known about it. But here I am doing it and absolutely loving it. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned collaboration because having the BC Diabetes Research Network is sort of an opportunity for you guys to get the opportunity to work with clinicians, to get the opportunity to work with other healthcare professionals who are working in diabetes who you might not otherwise have the chance to connect with in terms of this research. And how has that helped you? That has been fantastic. As you said, it's just getting exposure to other scientists and other clinicians that are doing things that can apply the science in a way that I can never apply it. So a lot of the stuff that I am doing, yes, sits on the bench 
uh, but I am not seeing the patients. I'm not interacting with the patients. I don't know certain aspects of just managing the disease or, you know, being fine with it. And that's where you get to have these conversations, even with patients. Like some of the conferences that I go to, they have patient presentations, which is really great because you get a perspective of what's going on. And not only does it motivate you, but then it kind of gives you other avenues on how to practice the science that you're doing. It, it, it almost gives a face to what you're doing as well. And I absolutely love it. And even having all of the different agencies coming together to help facilitate that, that's not something that I would be able to do on my own. I don't just walk into any conference. It's because of agencies like this that, you know, I have the privilege to have exposure to all of these and network. Oh yeah, and I, I think you make a really good point too with with patients, because one of the things that I think has changed in the last five years, in particular in research, is having patients more involved. So you're seeing basic research projects and discovery level research projects where otherwise you might just be seeing the science and the you know the cellular level, but now we're actually talking about how this relates to patients and coming up, and you mentioned this earlier, but finding the language to explain why your work is important to patients because I think that's so critical. And so have you, I mean, I'm assuming you've said that you enjoy working with the patients. Is this something you want to do more? Um, I do. I don't know what I will be doing yet, but the one thing I do know I love is I enjoy science. I love doing the work, but I also enjoy talking about it to everyone. If you listen to me, I will go on and on and on about what I'm doing, and then I see that little glaze in your eyes, like you should shut up now, I need to leave. But I absolutely love talking about the science and I love doing the science. So ideally, I will find something that helps me meld all of these things that I love in one position and that will be where I find myself but I don't know what it is yet so people feel free to create this job or just make it for myself yeah I mean that that could actually be what you end up doing is making making your own role for yourself well I have loved talking to to you today this your enthusiasm for this work is incredible and I appreciate you so much taking the time to do this thank you thank you So you've been listening to Beta Cells to Bicycles, a podcast from the BC Diabetes Research Network. If you'd like more information on the network, visit diabetesbc.ca. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can learn even more about the research that's being done here in British Columbia. Thanks for listening.